Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast, where we believe that you get to create who you have been and who you become, and that it's often the smallest changes and actions that make the biggest difference. I'm your host, Dave Jorner, and each week I will bring you the best guests, tips, and messages to inspire and help you and me do life even better. Thank you for joining me today. Now, let's get started. Hi friends, and thank you for choosing to spend some time with me today. Now, in the past, we've spoken about the importance of having mentors and of surrounding yourself with five people who build you, who lift you, and help you. And well, today's guest is in fact one of my mentors and one of my five. Uh, Steve Scott is the author of the soon-to-be-released book titled The 15 Disciplines of Productive Leaders. He received numerous awards and commendations during his 22-year Royal Australian Air Force career and is quickly becoming the preeminent source for leadership inspiration within the Australian independent schools sector. He is well known as being a leader who has an innate ability to change the way people think within just one single conversation. So then, if you are wanting to become a better leader, get that promotion or leadership role, or be more productive or have a greater, more positive and lasting influence on those around you, well then, this episode is for you. So please do share this out on social media. Take that screenshot, tag us in there at Dave Jorna, that's Dave, J-O-R-N-A, and at Do Life Better Podcast. Tag us in there. Make sure you share it with all your friends and your family. Anyone you know will benefit from enhancing their leadership and productivity and influencing those around you. So now, I hope you enjoy this episode with Steve Scott. Hi, Steve. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of the Do Life Better podcast. Thanks, Dave. It's good to see you again. Yeah, again, absolutely. And for a lot of the listeners, you may remember me referring to uh, my five in terms of who the people are who I uh, let influence who I am and who I'm becoming. And and Steve is, in fact, one of those five. And um, if I have uh, met you before in a school program, then you probably would have heard me talk about my five as well. And as I mentioned before, Steve is um, one of those five, and it's good to finally have you on this podcast, Steve. And I think we first met, when was it, like four years ago? We're trying to figure that before. Yeah, I'm still racking my brains about that, but it was, I know it was in November when we did some work with uh, Vinnie's way back then, but I I suspect it's maybe five or six years. I think it's probably getting away from us. Wow, time flies when you're getting old, eh? (laughs) It's been that long. (laughs) Thanks for reminding me on that. (laughs) That's quite okay. Um, And I remember the first time I met you, um, I realized pretty quickly that you're someone I could learn a lot from. Um, just your your character, your presence, um, the way in which you spoke, and how you were, you seem to be all about building others up and being present with other people, and then working with you on the the kids camp with Saint Vincent de Paul with Vinnie's. Um, I remember approaching you afterwards and thinking, Steve, I need you to be a mentor of mine. <laughs> Could you please uh, be that mentor for me? And thought, you know, just send you an email, see what happened, and and then from there, that's when that relationship really began, and that's when you um, really became. I suppose one of my five who really helped me grow uh, to mentor me, to ask me the really difficult questions that I sometimes don't want to answer but need to. Um, but yeah, Steve, thank you for uh, your example and you know, for the leadership work that you're doing in schools um, all around the place. And uh, speaking of that, did you always know that you were going to be a leader? You know, your work now is helping um, high level leaders and you've written a book 
recently on that as well, which we'll get to in a moment. And mm-hmm. did you always know that leadership was your thing? I don't, uh, I don't, it's a good question. But firstly, can I just say thank you for those kind words? I mean, I'm very humbled by that and a little embarrassed by that because <laughs> the, the relationship is very two way you know, in a mentoring capacity. And it, if a mentor is, is truly honest with themselves, they'll, they'll openly acknowledge that the mentor also takes away a great deal from that relationship. So it's not always been um, mm. one way. Even though you invited me to, to work with you, I've enjoyed working with you. Thanks, Steve. We'll give so, each other a pat on the back. Yeah, yeah. thanks. <laughs> All right. Um, did I always know I was going to be a leader? I, uh, you know, leadership was something that was, that was emphasised at school and I went to a, a grammar school so there was a, a strong emphasis on, on positional leadership. But no, I, I don't think I ever really did know that I was going to be a leader. I was a house captain at school and, and that was a prefect, I think they called it back in those days. But I didn't really think about that as a leadership role. I, you know, I think I was like most kids at that age thinking, wow, if I get the badge, I've got the honour, mm. you know. Um, no, I, I just simply wanted to join the Air Force and I had a dream of joining the Air Force and I was pursuing that dream um, with vigour and, um, and it wasn't until I got to experience leadership in the, in the, the context of the, the military that I, I think I first understood that I'll eventually get there but I, I, I learned very quickly that I had a long way to go to get so, there. So what made you realise or you know, first dream of getting there? To leadership? Yes. Yep. Um, look, I d- dare I say this, there's, it, as in, in every case in life, there's, there are good examples of leadership and there are bad examples of leadership. And if we're, we're true to ourselves, we'll learn from both. And I think there, was, there were moments of bad leadership that I was experiencing mm-hmm. um, combined with the good moments of leadership that were inspiring me and they, um, the bad moments that were reminding me of, of how to do things differently. So I, I recognised that – I remember my dad saying to me years ago that uh, don't be defined by what's happened to you, uh, be defined by what's morally right. Nice. And so when I was – you know, even though um, from time to time I may have been on the receiving end of bad leadership – it didn't give me a right to be a bad leader. It, 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 mm. it was it was teaching me to be a, a much better leader. So I guess, you know, there was this point where I, I felt like I then wanted to be in their shoes and be able to do it differently. And that became the, the motivation for me to then start to think more about my role as a leader, not a positional one, because I certainly didn't have the rank back in those days when I was getting this realisation, but to, to realise that... Um, Leadership was not necessarily about the position, the title, the rank, the authority that you had. It was actually more about a mindset. Sure. So how would you – you spoke before about good and bad leadership. How would you describe the difference? Oh, okay. It all comes down to the influence it has on you at the time, doesn't it? So when you're demotivated and you're, um, you're not feeling safe in particular around that leader, you can't trust that person or that person is unpredictable and you're not sure which way they're going, that has an, has an effect on, on how you engage with that person and then su- willingly support that person. So I guess that that to me is how I put myself into that leadership scenario is to say that the, the good, of course, is the opposite to all of that. And so 
to answer your question quite simplistically, it's about feeling safe, it's about feeling engaged, it's about feeling like I can trust that person, I can predict that person's moves and those sorts of things. When, when you can't do that, you tend to be more concerned about your own survival in that situation, not about what you can give mm. to that and how vulnerable you can be in, in that situation. Sure. And who – it's kind of funny me asking you these questions because I've heard you speak many times before and what you've mm. taught me, so I know lots of these answers and that's okay. Maybe there's something – And I feel like to... you already know the answers sometimes. <laughs> and maybe there's going to be something else I'm going to learn today too, which would be great. But who inspired you? Was there someone early on, um, whether it be before the Air Force or while you were in there, who really inspired you in terms of what true leadership's about? I've got a number of, of different people in my life that have impacted me in different ways. I, the first one would be my father. My father's a very, um, very caring man. He was, he's the peacemaker mm. in in many regards, and and uh, he would always find uh, the good in people. So, I uh, you know I used to watch him from time to time, and there'd be challenging situations as there are in every family circumstance, and I could always see dad finding the good and but dad's work work ethic as well he, he taught me to work hard and uh, whilst I may not have exemplified that as a young person um, outside my own interests he did influence me greatly inside my the sphere of my own interests mm-hmm. as I grew older and recognized that it wasn't just about my own interest that you know what you can do with your life is is f- so much more for other people um, other people then started to have an influence. Um, a guy by the name of Marty Barry who um, became my flight commander when I was um, a instructor at the Royal Australian Air Force College teaching young um, cadets that were joining the Air Force and wanting a career as a leader. And Marty taught me to empathise and he taught me to, to see the world in a very different way. He has the most extraordinary ability to to hold you in a conversation um, for hours on end. Mm. And he had me captivated in what he taught me about emotional intelligence and about myself. Um, one of the things that I, I um, often tell other people about his influence on me is that he got me to see that I was the problem in a situation without making me feel like I was the problem. <laughs> it was a remarkable skill to be able to do that. And, and, mm. and, and of course, through all of that, he... Um, made me recognise that I was always the solution nice. in that regard. Um, and probably one other person that I could say uh, that had an extraordinary influence on me was around about the same time. There was another guy by the name of Paul Way, and he was the commanding officer of the officers' training school, which is within a school within the college. And, and uh, I directly reported to him as one of his execs, and I found him, he was so people-centric, and he... He showed me the importance of getting to know each individual on a human level. Prior to that in my military career, it had always been that person over there by rank and that person was not necessarily a number, but it was it was impersonal. And he taught me the value of getting to know somebody on a very personal level, not being besties with someone on a Sunday afternoon. It was about understanding that that person over there is a real human with a real story, with real issues, and those issues, when they come to work, become an issue for us at work. And when I recognised that they're all humans and that our, the, the significance of empathising with that and understanding that just brought a whole new dimension to my leadership. So 
three people in my life that I'm very grateful to. Wow. And I remember, I hope I can get this right, I think I remember you telling a story about someone and, and they would have a remarkable memory of um, your like your it's stories. Paul and it's Paul Way. It is Paul. I thought it might have been. Yeah, he had this um, – he, he pulled one on me one, one day when I first met him and he arrived at – at the school, and I'd been at I'd been at the school for about eighteen months prior to, to his arrival, and uh, he called me aside and he he started asking me questions about um, my life, which was quite unusual because typically when you meet your commanding officer for the first time, he's telling you a little bit about how life's going to be under his command. So, <clears throat> um, for him to show an interest in my life, um, my wife, my daughter, my dog, my car, my hobbies, all of these things. Uh, I found quite awkward, and then he started to share his own mm-hmm. with me, and I thought I was actually more focused at that point in time on how unusual that was, rather than listening to what he was actually telling me. And this caught me out um, weeks later when he heard me in the hallway and uh, came out with his coffee cup and said, "Hey, do you want to? You got a moment for a chat?" And I'm sure, sir, no worries. I walked into his office and he closed the door and. He started to recite all these things that he remember. He was had memorised about me, and started to ask how my daughter was going by name, and 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 my wife, and, and even my dog's name. And <laughs> I started to feel very embarrassed because I couldn't remember his wife's name or his kids' names. And and uh, I thought this is really unusual. Uh, yes, yeah, so I went and spoke to some of the other execs, and I said, "Have you noticed something different about the boss?" Um, and they said, "Yeah." He seems to have this extraordinary memory. I said, I know. I had no idea how he'd done it. And it wasn't until weeks after that that I learned that after that very first meeting that I had with him, mm. he wrote everything down. And then he used that. Next time he saw me, he quickly read the card and then called me in so that he could make that human connection with me. Mm. You know, I, I, I remember for years after that saying, I, I would follow that man into battle. Tie my hands up behind my back, I'd still follow him. Mm. I just know that he'd have my interests at heart. And even though I suppose the mystery and the magic of the moment's kind of gone away because you know he's got the cheat sheet, but it still, I suppose, would mean just as much, if not more, knowing that it actually takes that time and the effort to intentionally write down all he can possibly remember about you so that when he sees you next, he can quickly run back in his office, yeah. take it out, have a read, come back out, and then build on that relationship even more. Because it's authentic. Where he's coming, he was coming from a place of authenticity, right? So, you know, he, he was doing it for the right reasons, even though perhaps the mechanism behind it was, was a little artificial in that regard. The carriage of it wasn't. So the intention right through to the carriage wasn't. He, he genuinely wanted to, to know me better. And, of course, after working with him for 12 months, he didn't need a card. That was his way of starting the relationship with me. Mm. I can tell you, I, it had a profound influence on me. I'm telling you about it today because it's something that stands out in my mind. It influenced the way I then went on and led in other units in the Air Force. I didn't use a card. I actually used an access database. I got someone to help create it for me. I had 160 guys. He wow. only had 35. <laughs> I had 160 guys I had to, to memorise and I, I recognised the power of that. You know, in, in terms of the influence it had on me and the, the desire to actually care about him as much as he cared about me. Mm. So, yeah, when I moved on to one squadron up here in Queensland, I I needed to create this database where I got to know everybody. I insisted on meeting 
every new person that came to the squadron, getting to know them, find out where they're from, kids off farms and kids from cities and kids from broken families and real people, real people that, that had their own hopes and dreams. And uh, when you get to know those people, I tell you, it just puts a fire in your belly to want to lead them mm. more. And that's been one of the that, – that story remains with me and inspires me still in terms of with my team. How do I um, – uh, show interest in their everyday life, show interest in who they are and what's important to them um, and you know, as a way to build up that relationship and, and show how important they are to me and mm. to the work that we're doing. Um, so, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, and so with the Air Force, I remember um, there's an, another little connection there where I used to love going to River Fire and in the city, <laughs> yeah. we had this spot. It was awesome. No one knew about it at the time. And, and then we used to sit underneath the bridge. We'd sit there because you could see down both sides of the yeah. river, but also because the, the jets would come straight over our heads. And I didn't realise until after I met you that you were the guy who was responsible for organising those jets. Is that right? Oh, I'm not the only guy. There's a, there's a <laughs> huge team of people that, that were involved. But, yes, and, and – during my time, we were tasked with flying river fire and and uh, one of the interesting things was that the year before I arrived, we weren't flying river fire. There was um, issues with the availability of jets and what have you. So, uh, And I remember getting a brief from um, uh, our wing commander uh, telling me that if, if you, nothing else over this next 12 months, please get jets flying river fire again, <laughs> which is fascinating. But there's a, you know, it's a, a massive... Um, organisation of people mm. and material resources to get something like that going, um, as it is in any case to deploy jets anywhere around the world. And we're just talking about two two jets to fly down Brisbane River is is a pretty easy task. It's it's when you have to take hundreds of people away and you know organise large air, transport aircraft and the logistics and the admin and getting people to to leave their homes for long periods of time, mm. that's far more complex in that regard. Mm. So there's a lot more to think about. But, yeah, it was a, a great privilege to be sitting on the on the banks of Southbank one night <laughs> and uh, watching the jets. Um, I actually had to authorise something one night when I was sitting on the banks of Southbank mm. for that fly past, which, was, oh, which wow. was quite fascinating. Yeah, That's kind of cool. Sitting there going, oh, I did that. Or I helped to do that <laughs> moment just now. That's really cool. That's really cool. To be a part and, of it, Dave. Yeah. Exactly, to be a part of it, yeah. And mm. – so one of the things you taught me, Steve, is that discipline is about – it's not about punishment, it's about to teach. And there's a story that you told me a while ago at the Air Force um, about your time at the Air Force when you took a bit of a risk with someone and it was a nice moment in terms of the idea of teaching through discipline and not punishing and kind of you know, gave someone a second chance in a way. Uh, yeah, so I, I think I know who you're talking about. It was, um, it was a bit of a thorn in my side for quite some time, mm. uh, a young cadet that – who um, had a gift for flying aircraft. He'd been through flight screening in the Air Force and was, uh, I suppose, in a, in a school context, he'd probably be considered gifted and talented in that regard. But um, he had some issues integrating into Air Force life and embracing the, um, the traditional values and behaviours that are expected of a, of a military person. And um, notwithstanding that, he had an extraordinary gift to fly aircraft. So... Um, yeah, he was a thorn in, in, in my side for a number of reasons. There was a, a series of occasions where he was receiving what we would um, refer to as a blue, and it was simply we called them blues. They were infringement notices, 
for behaviour, mm-hmm. um, and it, they'll print it on blue paper, and it's it's the old three strikes and you're out type approach. Mm-hmm. And uh, this young fellow had had three strikes, but uh, there was something about him that um, I thought we needed to invest a little bit more, and that was going to take real discipline because the the easy thing to do, I guess, was to follow policy, take the three strikes and uh, and let him go. But it was also about the same time that Paul Way came into my life and was teaching me about the significance of um, getting to know somebody. And I just couldn't quite understand why this kid was resisting us so much. Um, he was 19-year-old, redhead, freckle-faced, classic Aussie kid. Mm. But, uh, it wasn't until... Um, I was able to retrieve his recruiting file and uh, find out from the psychology report that he was, in fact, from a broken home and the reason he joined the Air Force was not through a, not necessarily to pursue a love of flying but was was to get an income to, that he could send back home to his mum. Mm. And, I mean, they just made me well up when I, when I read that and I just thought that here's a kid that, that has so much potential yet doesn't really have a dream to fulfill that potential it's just simply it's a purpose and a means to an end if you like to to support his mum so i had a lot of pressure on me from my staff um insisting that three strikes and you're out is three strikes and you're out and that he should go but uh i just really felt that we need to give him another chance i spoke to him cut a long story short he messed up again he did something foolish he'd had uh, had a few drinks one night and made a, an error in judgment. Mm. The, the strange thing was that uh, it, it came to my attention from a staff member and I had the perception that that staff member had caught him out and had uh, then reported him to me. In fact, what had happened is that this young kid had actually found, woken up the next morning and realised what he'd done wrong and had owned up to it. So I had to once I did some digging and I recognised that it wasn't actually the staff member that caught him out. It was this kid had suddenly shown some character mm. and the integrity to recognise that what he's just done is mess up. And so he came he came to us and actually owned up before anybody had a chance to go looking for him. I, of course, then had more pressure on me from my staff because this is now four strikes. But there was something about that moment where he came to me, or came to us. Um, I decided that uh, I had to do what I believe was right, not what was easy, uh, despite the resistance that I was getting. Mm. You know, the in- institutional response to something like that was let's not waste time, money, and resources on on him if he's not getting on board after all these opportunities. You know, why why are we continuing to work on him? Well because he could make a difference to the Air Force at some point. That's why. So I reminded everybody uh, one day that we were a school, not a selection agency, mm-hmm. that we teach. We don't, um, we don't determine the course of someone's life. Um, they do. So we, uh, we took another chance on him. And, uh, and I made an example of his integrity to everybody. And that's the kind of person I would be like to be beside in a, in a, mm. a firefight. Mm. And uh, he went on to great things. He graduated pilot school, um, and he ended up um, f- flying in combat. It was 
it's such a wonderful outcome. Yeah. Awesome. Just for that, from the extra chance and, and the integrity that he showed. And I know um, for you, character and integrity are, are critical for a leader. Um, I'd like to hear more about, from your perspective, what makes character so important? I think um, it's a good question. And it's, it's one that has a very long answer. And I'll try and, <laughs> I'll try and um, abbreviate it for you by just giving you a quick example. Mm-hmm. Most people I meet are more forgiving of someone that have underdeveloped skill but great character, mm-hmm. but they're less forgiving of someone with poor character and great skill. Mm. So what matters to us is the kind of person we are, not necessarily what we're good at or not good at in that regard. I'd much rather be working with someone who's yet to develop a skill but had the attitude and the the personal fortitude and the, the characteristics that will get them to wherever they need to go than I would with someone that was skilled but had a really negative attitude and, and, and characteristics that led you to not trusting them or questioning their, their agendas and those sorts of things. So character um, has a far greater influence on people and the relationships between people than skill does and leadership hinges on relationships. Mm. So character has more weighting when it comes to um, a leader's uh, being able to engage people in a relationship and, and of course, founded on trust and respect. And Steve, congratulations on the release of your very first brand new book, uh, The 15 Disciplines of Productive Leaders. Um, I love the concept that you have for the 15 disciplines. And oh, thank you. looking through that, uh, it absolutely rings true to me. And it kind of made me think, well, how do you come up with 15? <laughs> but, but how yeah. come those ones made and how come others didn't? But, and, um, but again, like looking through the list, I'm thinking, yeah, I think you've summed it up really nicely for the different uh, disciplines for leadership. So I'd like to, um, I, I know it's 15 and it's, it's a book and it's hard to talk about and go into depth for a whole 15 in a short podcast. But um, where did the 15 disciplines come from? Yeah, good question. It was, um, I was hoping for 10 because 10 is my favourite number. But <laughs> it's short, when, a bit easier. <laughs> we ended up with 15. Um, yep. And it was about making sure that the, the, the clarity in the message um, was adequate and, and 15 ended up being adequate after a, a great deal of consideration. The, um, ultimately, we looked at um, a leader's legacy and how, what is it that you leave once you're, you're finished for others to pick up on. And, and, and within that, um, that legacy kind of framework, we recognised that there were certain uh, principles that a leader should adhere to and become self-disciplined in, in order to be able to create these things. So when a discipline... Um, leader is is consciously thinking about these various um, aspects of a ideal legacy that they can leave. They recognise then that there are things that they need to be doing um, mm. consciously, which is what being disciplined is all about, is actually mm. consciously thinking about the things you need to do, regardless of how difficult they are or the sacrifice you need to make in order to do those things. So it's recognising that that's going to, to challenge things like your comfort and connection with a situation that may make you feel uncomfortable, um, but we do them because they're right. So the 15 disciplines, um, in, in doing those, they're not necessarily easy to do. We accept that they're not easy to do, mm. but they're the right things to do. And, and by doing that, it enables you then to develop what we refer to as a productive culture. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so if I take a couple of steps back and think about what is, and this will probably come up a little bit later when you ask me about doing doing life better. <laughs> yep. Um, we we decided in um, in a number of people that I talked to this about, um, and I have mentors as well in my life that uh, that I was actually discussing this with, and I recognised that um, productivity, um, even though it's a it's a it's a word that's often used in business and organisation, ultimately defines what a great life is about, how productive we are, mm. what we actually do with our life, how much we do with our life. And, of course, then the quality of that. It's okay to do lots of stuff, but if there's no quality attached to it, well, it, it might become meaningless. So in that legacy context, if we're sitting there at the end of our lives looking back on our lives, the one thing that I would like for so many people um, that will, I hope that my book will affect at some point, will be able to say, wow, look at my life. It was truly productive. I did so much with the time that I was given. Mm. And and I, it's not so much about just for me. It's also what I could, was able to do for other people, what I was able to do for society, for the communities that I'm in, and those sorts of things. And that collectively is about productivity. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, each, each one of those disciplines is, is like a part of a jigsaw puzzle that comes together um, to fulfil what we believe is the ideal legacy of a leader. Mm. And I highly recommend that our listeners go and grab a book and have a read through of the 15 disciplines. And if I – this might be a, a, an unfair question to ask. Of the 15, if you were to recommend someone – starts with a few or you know, are there a few that are more most important uh, of the disciplines just to give us an yeah. idea of, of the that's, a, that's a really have. good question because that's true it actually is there's discipline number okay. one um we say that discipline number one is essential f- to fulfill all the other disciplines mm-hmm. so it starts with being your best self mm-hmm. which is discipline number one and that that's about recognizing um the control that our fears and egos have in our decision-making that more often happen at the subconscious level. So being your best self is about consciously recognising that and, and consciously finding the courage and the humility to over, override your fear and your ego so that you can be the person you need to be in order to deal with the situation that you're faced with. So you, in order to in order to take the lead, to be ethical, to be strategic, to plan to succeed, to inform relentlessly, to foster learning, whatever the other disciplines are, you still need to be your best self because in, in order to do that, there are going to be elements of of upholding standards with someone or um, being adaptable with someone. They're going to make you feel uncomfortable. They're going to be – but in order to do that and overcome that discomfort, you're going to have to find the courage and the – and the humility mm. to to override your ego and your fear, so that you can be, you know, productive as a leader in those moments. Mm. So yeah, be your best self. Nice one. Start with who you want to be um, to do what you need to do to get what you want to have. Um, I, I would probably just change that language a little bit and say start with who you need to be. Because if we actually go with what we want to be, then our brains will probably tell us that our that we'll we'll. We, what we want is to not be fearful or not be mm, mm, true, true. <laughs> not get what yes. our egos want. Is, mm. But what we might need to be is courageous mm, mm. and humble mm. 
to deal with the situation. Actually, this is something I've mentioned on the podcast recently too about a lot of research says when you just give yourself even just five minutes to think about who do I need to be first uh, before I go into this meeting or before I get home or this big event, then you're going to do a lot better. Yeah, I agree. So I agree. Makes sense that that's your number one um, for mm. the disciplines. What would be a couple of other ones? Um, I think that probably one of the things that makes makes us distinctively different in the context of leadership mm. is is take the lead. We talk a great deal on, on my leadership programs about superiority factors, the things that people have that they perceive make them superior. So like a title, a rank, authority, sadly in, in this modern era, still gender, mm. still distresses me, or race, that they think mm. that that makes them superior. Um, it, it can come down to experience and knowledge. So all of these things... Um, and I think the in discipline number two, where we say when we talk about take the lead, we take the lead not because of those things that we might have, or we or we don't take the lead because we don't have those things. We take the lead because it's morally right to do it. Mm. So regardless of whether we've got those things or that we don't have those things, we still act. We act because of the the purpose acting in that regard. So I'm, as a young guy in the Air Force, I remember, and this is in the transition when I realised that I had to become a leader, was when I was standing there pointing the finger at my superiors, blaming them for a situation, and it was my father, in fact, one day, one day on a phone call when I was sharing my frustration with him, he reminded me that he was actually getting tired of hearing the same things every week and asked me at, what, at that point, when was I going to take the lead? Mm because I was actually using a lack of rank and title and authority as, a, as a, an excuse to not lead. Mm. It's and kind of uh, counteracting the victim mentality. Going very much from so. that into taking um, not necessarily control but uh, creating what comes next, taking more ownership, um, being more proactive. And if I was honest with you, Dave, back then it was really miserable pointing yeah. the finger and blaming someone else. It really was. I, it was not enjoyable. I don't know why I was doing it, but once – I just empowered myself to be a leader regardless of the lack of those traditional things that you pro- people would perceive you need in the military. You don't. Military is a great place to let you lead. I just, once I stood up and decided to take the lead, it was so much more enjoyable. <laughs> it really was, yeah. you know. Yeah, and when you achieve more, that gives you great satisfaction. So, mm. yeah, I learned a lot about myself back in those days, that's for sure. What was – Okay, with that, what were one of the two main things that you learned about yourself? I guess the first one is that uh, believe you can, believe you can't, either way, either way you're right. I think Henry Ford mm. may mm-hmm. have actually been the, the originator of that quote. And that, that's so true is that I, if I sat there and believed that I couldn't, then I was right in that regard. Believe that I can and uh, it just changes your world. It really does. Second one. Hmm. I guess um, it comes back to being your best self. I, had, I, I learned that I had, to, I had to be a better person to do that. You, you can believe in something, but then you, when you know, you realise, yeah, I can do that. You then have to come to, with, to terms with the kind of person you'll, you will need to be to do that. Mm, that's and a that's tough confronting. One to swallow, yeah. That's a confronting one, yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, so I, I learnt a lot about myself that mm. I. That, and it sometimes, you know, it takes a great deal of humility too because you recognise at some point in that learning process 
that you weren't the person you needed to be in the past mm. and you've got to let that go. Um, that's all part of learning. It's all part of growing up. It's part of maturing and getting on with life. Is It's just accepting that you progress. Don't regret what's happened in the past. Just acknowledge what you need to do and move forward. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, there's nothing I did in my past that brought harm to anybody. You know, there's nothing intentional. It was just a part of growing up and, and learning, I guess, mm. yeah. Mm. But um, I'm not sure that that's answered your questions well enough. But it's Yeah, no, it's perfect. Thank okay. you, thank you. And one thing I like about the 15 disciplines is, yes, it's absolutely specific for leaders Well, and also relevant for anyone really in terms of bettering their lives, being more productive. And you know, we will have links to your information, to your book and everything in the show notes. Thank you, that's very kind. So people can look even further into mm-hmm. the 15 um, disciplines for leadership. So there was uh, – would you like to rattle off a few just now, a few more of them? Oh, the disciplines now? themselves? Yeah, yeah. So be your best self. Um, is take the lead, which we just talked mm-hmm. about. Uh, there's be ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's keep the end in mind, uh, be strategic, plan to succeed, maintain control, be adaptable, be just and fair, look for results, not faults, uh, inform relentlessly, work hard, play hard, generate unity, uphold standards, and we finish the day with foster learning. Nice one. I didn't keep count. Maybe I should have. I believe that would be all the 15. Well done. I'll be very embarrassed if I've only hit 14. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we need to go back and count. And Sam over here shaking her head going, you've done them all. Well done. So um, now I I remember having um, pretty in-depth conversations with someone recently, someone who had been mentoring me for a while um, in my younger days, saying that you're either a leader or you're not. You're either born a leader or you're not. Um, what would be your take on that? I'd fundamentally disagree. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't born a leader and I certainly don't believe that a baby comes out and the doctors look at it and go, well, there you go, there we just got ourselves a leader. Mm. Um, leadership is about learning and growing and um, it's it's significantly influenced by the environment that you live in and when you grow up in. So obviously I feel very privileged to have grown up in a, in a good environment and to have been nurtured throughout my early the early days of my career and even today I'm still being influenced by people. Leadership isn't something that you're born with. Leadership is something that you learn but you have to actually first have a desire to want to be a leader. So you won't be a leader unless you actually want to be and that's not for everybody. I'm not suggesting mm. that everybody should be. Mm. I'm just saying that for, for those people that are put on leadership programs by their leaders because they're trying to get something more out of them, they won't work unless those people actually want to be a leader. Mm-hmm. So it, it has to come from your heart that you, you want to lead. And it's not about wanting to be the boss of something. It's about wanting to have influence. It's about wanting to fulfill a purposeful agenda that you've got for your life, you know, and it's about making sure that someone else's life is better for the for the effort that you put into it. It's not just about what you get out of it. It's about what you give to other people and what they take away. If that's what you want to do, then you'll be a leader. Mm. And so what would you say to someone who has that desire to be a leader? They keep putting, putting their hand up, but they keep getting knocked back. Maybe there's people in their lives telling them that they will never be a leader, even though they have this desire. Um, or maybe maybe it be at school, maybe it be in their business, in their job, they're, they're looking for that promotion, that next step to become the manager or whatever the next step is for them. What would you say to someone who has that desire that keeps getting knocked back time and time again. 
Uh, Well, I I would say that uh, if it's the position and the title that you're actually getting knocked back on, uh, those those two things won't make you the leader anyway. Mm. That what will make you the leader is what you're doing about your current job and how you're leading authentically within that, that you're taking the lead. And this comes back to discipline number two, is if you want to be a leader, then lead. Don't wait to be promoted into something. Lead. Find a, a purposeful agenda. If, you, if there's something that you feel can be better, lead that to that outcome. Um, if you're st- stuck in an environment that, that won't let you do that, my question to you then would be whether, whether or not you should be staying in that environment. Move mm. to another one. Create your own environment. Take the lead on your own life. But um, if you're getting knocked back on a position or a title or a, a, an authority level and those sorts of things, that's what you're truly after, then fine for you. But that won't make you the leader. What will make you the leader is the kind of person you are, the character that, that, that defines you to other people. I have a saying in the, in the book that I've, I've written down and that is that what you think about determines um, your actions, how you act determines the habits that you form. The habits you form then determine your character mm. and your character determines your fate as a leader. There's nothing in there about position mm. or title or rank. If you're getting knocked back, uh, there could be other reasons for it and then it, possibly it's a time for self-reflection. And I would say it will all come down to how well you're leading now that will determine what opportunities you get to lead in the future in that regard. Sure. Thank you. That's very helpful, Steve. Thank you very much. Uh, Before we get to those final few questions, uh, is there anything I haven't asked you that you think our listeners would greatly benefit from? (laughs) That you haven't asked me? Yeah. Um, Anything that you can add? Good question. I I don't know. Um, I didn't come here with any preconceived ideas about what you were going to ask me. I guess um, I, I, I guess... You asked a really important question before, and I think you've you've touched on what is very, very important to me, and that is that you can be a leader if you choose to be. So, asking me the question about whether or not leaders are born or or made, well, leaders are made, and 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 I'm happy that we've talked about that today because I think that that's the, one of the most important messages out there for for young people aspiring to change the world. Mm. Uh, the only limitations that you have are those that you set for yourself in that regard. And, and so um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk to, you with, talk to you about that very point is that I want everybody to, to, to understand that they, they have potential to be whatever it is they want to be. The difference is whether or not they act in accordance with that potential. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. So if our listeners would like to get in contact with you, obviously they can um, let me know and I can pass them on. Otherwise, how would they get direct to you, Steve? Uh, through Sam. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be um, – Sam is is uh, not a gatekeeper. Sam will actually process things a lot faster than I will. She has extraordinary capacity to, to juggle a thousand um, different emails and what have you. Mm. My head's definitely in the creative space, so – um, but I love meeting people. I love, I love hearing their stories and learning from them. Um, so I invite anybody to, to reach out and, and, and make contact with me. Mm-hmm. Um, the more 
people that I meet, the more I learn, the more I'm then able to pass on and, and give to others. So um, just uh, through our website, and we've got a new website coming up shortly, the15disciplines.com.au. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Is that 1-5 or the word 15? 1-5. Excellent. This will be in yeah. our show notes. Yep. Um, yeah, and then make contact through through our contact page there and mm-hmm. Sam will respond um, you know, within 24 hours, they'll have a response from us. And and uh, where possible, I would engage with with, with the people. I'm, I'm very big on making sure that we make a personal connection mm, with mm. those that reach out. So, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. Excellent. Thanks. And, again, we'll have that in our show notes. Uh, and so, Steve, as you know, I like being the Do Life Better podcast. I – Love hearing from all of our guests. Guests, um, what do life better means to them? You know, every every guest has their unique area, um, their their beliefs, their experience, their wisdom, and I love the different answers that we get. So, Steve, for you, how would you define do life better? That's a pretty easy one for me. Um, mm-hmm. um, my mindset is very much about our legacy, that what what we create with our lives. So, how productive. You are with your life. How would you do life better? By being more productive with it. Get more out of it. You know I love my jet skiing and, mm-hmm. and getting out in the in the sun and on the ocean and, and enjoying those things and bike riding and I love my work. My, my work is not work. My work is it's fun. It's, it's, it, it's, it's something I have a passion about. So it's the reach that I get with my work and the influence I have with people. So mm. – um, it's about how much you do with your life in Excellent. that regard. Thank you. And that leads on to a bonus question I didn't actually tell you about, so I'm keen to hear this answer. And this is something that you and I have spoken about before in the past, and um, it leads on to quite nicely. You spoke about legacy. And we have that rocking chair test idea in terms of at the end of your days, you're sitting on the porch on your rocking chair yeah. looking back over that legacy. What would be the one thing – that you have already created or, or or are planning to create, that would be that legacy, that one thing that you would look back on with a great deal of pride? Good question. I think I'd like to think, I'd like to think that, um, that I achieved good results in the work that I did. Um, and I'm, I'm, I mean organisationally, you know, we, I built a business, um, I did good things in the Air Force, achieved good tangible measurable measurable things uh i'd like to think that i've improved people's quality of life i'd like to think that their lives are better as a result but i guess all of that for me would be not necessarily outweighed but what would be more significant is that i've actually left my mark Mm. on planet earth by saying by allowing people to have the capacity to do that themselves Mm. if i could build capacity in other people not at the expense of their quality of life, of course, and not at, not at the expense of getting the job done, but at the end of the day, if someone else was out there trying to do good things for the world and I had some role to play in developing that capacity in bringing communities together for good, not evil, mm-hmm. um, I'd be pretty happy on that, in that rocking chair. Nice one. I think you're on the right path, <laughs> definitely um, making a lot of impact. Uh, as I said before, mm. in my own life, in my leadership and the work that I'm doing uh, and a lot of the people who I know have worked with you in the past as well, you know, the difference that you're currently making. And um, so all the best as you continue with that, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Uh, and 
Again, we finish each episode with one challenge our listeners can take on for the week uh, to help them do their life even better. Mm. Uh, Steve, what challenge would you give our listeners for this week? The challenge would be um, in the form of a question. It's mm-hmm. about asking yourself a question when faced with a situation that might make you feel comfortable or uncomfortable. doesn't really matter. But if you can consistently ask yourself, what does this situation require of me? Mm. Because what we would instinctively default to is what, does, what do I need from this situation? And a true leader would actually ask themselves that question, what does the situation require from me? So my challenge, I guess, to your listeners is to ask yourselves those questions for the, for the, uh, the coming week. Thanks. That's a powerful one. And I'm not surprised that your challenge is a question. Uh, (laughs) Most of our mentoring has consisted of very difficult questions from you, Steve, but again, very pertinent and very important and um, life-enhancing questions as well. So, Steve, thank you for that challenge. And again, that will be in the show notes. And so, Steve, with that, I really want to thank you for your time with us today. Uh, I know that this will be – You're welcome. And I know this will be very beneficial for – the, the range of our listeners, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're in the workplace somewhere, whether they're at school, whether, whether they are at home doing, doing whatever they're, they're doing in their life, I know that this will really help enhance who they're being um, to create more of an influence as well and more of a legacy for the people around them. So, Steve, thank you. And, um, of course, again, thank you for the, the, the mentoring, the difference that you've made in my own life and, and also the leadership that you've shown me, the example that you've been uh, for the people who I work with as well. So helping me make more of a difference. Um, the people that I work with. And um, again, thanks for the work that you're doing uh, in the schools um, around our area and some quite profound leadership work there with the principals and the students and you know, making a massive legacy in the work you're doing there. So, Steve, thank you very much. Thanks, Dave. appreciate the time. And I'm, I'm very, um, I feel very privileged to be doing what I do on a day-to-day basis. So I just appreciate the opportunity to share that with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. And please remember Steve's challenge, which is when you are faced with a challenge, ask yourself, what does the situation require of me, not what do I require from this situation? So if you did find this episode helpful, please do share it out there with your families and friends and anyone who you know would like to enhance their leadership or be more productive or have a greater, more positive influence than those around you. So make sure you share it out there with them. Uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, you might be missing out on future upcoming episodes. So when you subscribe, uh, you receive a notification every single time we release a new episode each Monday. So make sure you subscribe and leave a rating and a review. Take a screenshot, put it on your social media, tag me in at Dave Jorner and at Do Love Better Podcast. And of course, I can't wait till next time. Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. And have you subscribed yet? By subscribing to this podcast, that enables you to get notifications every single time a new episode is released. In your podcast app, you can find all the show notes for every episode. And if you'd like to get in contact, you can do so via email at hello at projecthatch.com.au. That's hello at projecthatch.com.au. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, share it with someone you think will benefit from these messages, And now it's time to get out there and do life better.